If you have your Bibles, I hope you do. They're amazing things to have. Uh, I'm going to be, we're going to be in uh, Matthew today. Um, we're in a kind of, I guess probably the best way to think about it is a series inside of a series, right? We're in Matthew, but like we sat down for a minute in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Matthew, this guy, um, probably, I think he's a tax collector. Um, and uh, he knew Jesus and traveled around with Jesus and he wrote down these things that he that he heard about Jesus, that he saw Jesus say and do. And he's trying to tell us something about this Jesus. And he, he just opens up by just his, 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 what he wrote for us by just kind of going on and on about Jesus' lineage, about how it all points to him being this king, about his baptism, all of these things about Jesus. He's just, he set this picture up of this one who is everything that everybody's been waiting for. And then it's not until Matthew chapter 5 when we finally get to hear Jesus start teaching and what's, what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And then in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus stops and says, like, hey, let me teach you how to pray. As a matter of fact, actually, he starts by saying, here's how not to pray. He says, you don't have to come up with a bunch of words and just babble on and on like some of these people that think they have to summon up God. You don't have to do that. Your God is eager to hear you. And he also says this, hey, you don't have to do this for other people. Other people aren't very forgiving and aren't very kind. <laughs> you, don't have to, you don't have to earn their favor. You, you pray to God in, in quiet and in silence. And so he said, don't pray this way, but instead pray like this. And he gives us this beautiful prayer. Let's, let's, you know, I'm just going to read it. Uh, I'm going to start in verse 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as, as it is in heaven. And give us this day our, our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their trespasses, neither will the Father forgive your trespasses. So he says, this is how you pray. He gives us this beautiful structure, this beautiful formula that is just so amazing and so, so brilliant. It's a universal instinct to pray, and Jesus is teaching us how to do it. Um, and he grounds biblical, biblical prayers different because it's grounded in faith, right? It, it starts because of what we believe to be true, and it's grounded in who Jesus himself is. And so he gives us this prayer, and it's a series of petitions. It's a series of things that we are being taught to ask from God. Uh, but it comes in kind of two halves. Like the first half is this amazing part where we're asking God, focusing on God. Uh, help. Uh, uh, it's unhelpful, I think, to get to our needs too quickly. It's better that we first remind ourselves the God that we're approaching, who he is and what he's like, right? He's big and he is our father and he has already spoken to us before we've spoken uh he god in this prayer jesus is he's carrying us to himself before we ever get to what our needs are and so he teaches us to pray our father to know that we are adopted and that we are adopted not just to for him to be our father but into a family we pray our father and then we we pray uh, uh that um that his name be made much of, that his name be hallowed. God, make uh, people value you above all other things. That begins in my heart. Uh, and then he says, thy kingdom come, right? And thy will be done. Uh, your kingdom come and nobody else's, right? This is a prayer f- to drive out all other, even good things, but lesser things 
for God to reign supreme in our heart and life, uh, that nobody else, that we pray for the new heavens and the new earth to come. But this kingdom ruling begins in our hearts, right? This kingdom coming starts in our hearts and moves to our families, and this is how God advances it. Uh, And this God-focused part of the prayer, this first half of the prayer that's God-focused, even though it's a focus on God, it it turns out, I I really believe with all my heart that it turns out to be good for us, And and here's why. If anything else took that place in the universe, it'd be bad for you and me. If anything else took the position of God, that would be bad. If my, even good things, if my family took the place of supreme, if my job took the place of supreme, if anything else takes the supreme place in the world or in my heart, it turns out to be really, really bad for me because there's nothing else in this universe more deeply concerned with my eternal joy and your eternal joy than God. And so it turns out to be bad for us if anything else is. So we start at this place of remembering who God is, God bringing us to himself and teaching us this. And then we begin to ask for what we need. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us today, God, what we need physically. But also Jesus has said in other places, right, that we need more than food, right? Uh, we need more than, uh, uh, more than just this. Uh, we, we also need spiritual things. And so give us today all that we need to be who you would have us to be. Give us the idea of it. And then we get to what we're going to talk about today, uh, the verse we're going to talk about today, which is uh, the part that everybody gets quiet at. If, you grew, if, you, if you're in a place, if you grew up in knowing the Lord's Prayer, and you go someplace that says this, and you don't, you don't like, you've never, like, you've never been this place before, you're like, uh, like everybody gets real quiet at this part. Because some people say debt, debtor. Some people say trespasses, trespasses. So you, and forgive us our trespasses. Trespasses and forgive our trespasses. Like, we, we get quiet, and then everybody, oh, this is what we're going to say. And we ramp back up together. Uh, because it, uh, older kind of translation, more traditional, will be trespasses, right? And then debtors is kind of like the new, uh, thing. and sometimes it'll say, actually, you have places that'll say, like, uh, forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who are sinned against us, right? Like, so sins, trespasses, debts. Uh, anyway, this passage today where forgive us, are it's weird to me that it's, it's in this section on need. My daily need, I need my daily bread, and I need daily forgiveness, right? It's, it's interesting to me that that's where it is. Um, that it kind of, I mean, if you made me, like Chris, make, make a list of things that you need today, I don't know that, I don't know how far I'd have to go down that list before forgiveness showed up. You know what I mean? Um, apart from God, anyway, you know? Um, but I mean, every day we're faced with the reality of the brokenness of the world that we live in. Every day we're faced with the reality of the brokenness that we are. And I, I think that what we need, this, this line, this just this one petition, I, I think it really does show us two things that we need. Uh, the first thing that we need to know, I really think that this, this, this helps me with, is it helps me know that I'm a sinner, right? Who needs forgiveness? Sinners. So when I pray this, it reminds me that I'm, I'm a sinner. And, here, and here's the deal. Uh, um, uh, there's probably two primary reactions to, to this. Uh, you could be like me, which is like, I honestly, like, even though apart from God, it would take me a while to get to forgiveness, I, I kind of just walk through the world daily obsessed with how terrible of a person that I am. Like, I just, like, I think about it all the time. Like, I just, I'm a garbage human being. Like, I just think about it all the time. Every meditation in my heart, every thought in my day, all the time is selfish, right? Like, so, like, you can hear, like, oh, we're going to talk about sin today, and like, great, that's not what I need today, Chris. I already feel bad about myself. Thanks a lot. I don't need to hear any more uh, about how sinful I am. Got it. I'm good. Thank you. But I think we do need to know that we're a sinner. Because the other reaction possibly could be 
people that are like, no, yeah, I'm a sinner, but I'm forgiven. They just walk around the world like that, you know. Hashtag not perfect, but forgiven. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like I don't know what the color of the sky is in those people's world. Like, God, like it'd be amazing uh, to just walk through the world and be like, yeah, no, I'm forgiven. Like, that's kind of the fundamental understanding of, no, like, that's not me. But I think you have the either, either of these two reactions, but we have to know both of these things, that, that we are sinners and that we, on a daily basis, to live a flourishing life, what Jesus is teaching us is that we need to know that we are sinners, but that we are forgiven. Um, the reason that we need to be told that we're sinners is because yeah, our, I just, our instincts are wrong. Like, our instincts are bad. Like, what we think is good in a given moment, like, I just, like, almost at this age, finally, I'm like, well, this is what I feel like doing, so it's probably wrong. I should think through, you know? Because usually it's going to be like, well, I'm going to be very condescending and, and mean to this person. That's my instinct, is just to, like, you know, like, just to be sm- a smart aleck, right? Just to, and so I have to go, oh, I shouldn't be that way, right? And so I have to remind myself that my instincts are often wrong. What we think is good as we go through this, like, it's so often not. It feels good to me to hang on to what's mine and not be generous. And the Bible's like, that's bad for you. It feels good to me to withdraw on myself and be alone. The Bible's like, that's bad for you. That my instincts are so often wrong. I have to be told that I'm a sinner. And the reason we have to be told that we're a sinner is because, it's not because the way that I grew up with it, like, I... I, I or the way that I heard it. I don't want to say they said this, but what I heard was just that constantly that I'm no good. <laughs> I'm not saying they said it, you know, but I grew up very much in a world like you can't play Uno because that's cards. You know what I mean? Like that was that kind of worlds. Maybe they didn't say that, but that's what I remember. It's like basically if you have, yacht, if you have a Yahtzee get it, came at home, that's a dice. You probably have a pit bull and you're going straight to hell. Like that's where I, like most important thing in Christian faith was like whether or not your shorts like reach your fingertips. Like that was like how you knew you were Christian. And, and I, I'm not saying that's what they said. It's what I internalized. Uh, that's what they said. Anyway, uh, so I, I'm just, even though I'm hyper aware of that, but I need to be told I'm a sinner because my instincts are so often wrong. And we, we live in a, we just don't see. Um, we live in a world that says if it feels good, do it. We live in a world that says if I can, I should. <laughs> yeah. As long as everybody agrees, everything's okay. And we don't see our sin, and we, I mean, can you imagine what would happen if no one ever told me that I was a sinner? I mean, sin's bad for me. It, it would corrupt me. It would, it would, it would be toxic. I would, I would grow, so, I need to be told, and I, imagine if I just constantly forgot that I was a sinner. In, in scripture, uh, sin, very early on, the first real mention of sin it's personified, right? Uh, it says, it's this is in Genesis. Uh, so Cain, uh, this guy, Adam, Adam, he's got these two kids, and uh, one of them is like real upset because uh, God didn't accept his offering, and so he's like really mad. <laughs> so, so God goes to Cain, and he's like, uh, why the long face, man? Like, just do what's right, right? Like, do what's right. And then he says this in, in Genesis uh, 4, 7. He says, if you don't do what's right, if you don't check yourself, then sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. Imagine if no one ever told you that. I know that we can hear it's like, oh, you beat me up with my sinfulness. Imagine if nobody ever told you that sin today is trying to take you down. Imagine if nobody told you. Like that seems far crueler to me to let me go through life not 
realizing, not seeing. I think about this a lot, uh, more than I should. I don't know what's going on now, but early on in these singing shows, right, where people tried out, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, American Idol, you know what I'm talking about? They would try out and then have these people early on uh, they were my favorite. And I shouldn't, I shouldn't take so much joy in this. I, I, I know I shouldn't. I'm trying not to, I'm not trying not to smile. But they, uh, they, they would go on the show and they would just do horribly, right? Like it sounded like you're just kicking a bag of cats. You know what I mean? Like just awful, right? Just real, real bad. And then like, they'd be like, you didn't make the cut. And then they would interview them and they'd be like, I'm just going to keep believing in me. And all I could think was like, you need better friends. Like you need someone that tells you, get a different dream. You know what I mean? Like, like, we need to be told sometimes. And I think sin blinds us that way. And we're like, oh, I know I'm a bad person. No, no, no. We need to be told, hey, this is sin and this is not sin. And we need people in our lives that point us and show us. And it's such a gift of God. I, I know this is a weird way to think about it, but that he's told us, hey, sin is really bad for you. It corrupts you. It changes you. It damages people. And you need to know that that's what's going on. And that if you don't look out, it's going to try to take you down. It's going to try to consume you till there's nothing left of you. And that is contrary to my desire for you to have deep joy. It's, we just have to be told. Also, though, it's absolutely true that that God hates sin and he's angry at it. God hates sin and he's angry. But that makes sense too, right? When you know that God is love, it makes sense that he's angry at sin because, I mean, who, like if you... If somebody just keeps doing the same thing over and over again, it's harmful. Like you get mad at the one that you love for continuing to harm themselves. And you want better for them, but you get angry. It's human instinct, right? Because they're hurting somebody. Or if somebody hurts somebody that you love. Like it's instinct to be angry because I love this person and you harm them. Like I said to my son just this week, you know, he uh, is um, <laughs> normal teenage stuff. Talked to his mom in a way that, you know, and I come storming, you know, very 80s TV's dad form, you know, full 80s TV dad form. I'm storming into the room like, don't talk to my wife that way. You know what I mean? You know? Uh, because he, you know, like, she exists in my life and anything that harms her. And I'm saying for him, if anybody if talks to him that way, like because they exist in my life, I, I get upset. It's not just between them. You wouldn't come into my house and insult my family and not expect to have to deal with me. And sin works that way. Sure, God's angry at sin because it's harming those that he loves. Me and each other, when we harm each other, of course it makes him angry. Of course he wants to correct it. Of course he needs to let us know so we can know and deal with it. But here's the thing. What, what, what even is sin, right? And so it's a, it's a big complicated thing. This is not a, primarily a sermon on sin, but, but briefly, sin is, well, it's, I have a debt because of my sin. It's this offense against a standard, right? So, Something's got to be done about it, right? Anything, any, anything that's, any loss, anything taken away, there's always a cost. If I come to your house, right? And I, classic example. I come to your house and I break a lamp. Anytime something's broken, something's it's got to be paid for. You can either pay for it yourself, I can pay for it, or you can sit in the dark. But there, there's a cost when anything is broken, right? 
And so when something is broken, there's a, there's a debt. And, and sin is a breaking of something. And so <laughs> when, when you think about it, um, if there's a debt, there's some things that can be repaid, right? If, you, if I steal something, I can repay. The st- uh, there's uh, early on in my uh, career as an engineer, uh, we had an office that had like a... Uh, you know, a, a, a common refrigerator, a community refrigerator, you know what I'm talking about? People put their lunch in it, you know what I mean? There's this guy uh, who's real protective of his lunch. Put signs up and stuff, you know what I mean? Like right on it, this is so-and-so's. He wasn't my favorite person. And uh, so me and a couple of guys I work with, uh, we started moving his lunch. You know what I mean? Like, ah, we wouldn't take it, but like, we'd just take it and move it for a shelf. And like, he'd walk in and be like, oh, I put it up here. And you know, and you just be like, ah, like, oh, I take it. And I would like put it behind the empty can of pickles that had been there for 10 years, jar of pickles, you know what I mean? Just put it behind, just hide it. And just, and I'd, I would come at time that he would go get his lunch. I'd be there. And I'd be like, what's going on? What? Who? How dare they? Who? And I'd help him look for it, you know? Well, I kind of got, I kind of, we just kind of kept, it kept leveling it up where I would like just take pieces of it, you know? Like not the whole thing, like I would unwrap it and just like slide out like the, the health bar that he would have. Like I would just take it, you know? And then at night put it back so it was there the next day. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's a, and then they got to the point where I was like, I take a bite out of it and just leave the bite. Like and we have people like looking, you know? And he just get, just, I, don't, I don't know why. Like, but I always replaced everything I took. But is that the only damage I did? Just because I replaced the things that I took, was everything the same? I mean, there's parts of when we, things that we can repay, but the damage is still done relationally, right? I mean, even if I take and repay, or if I deal with things the way that we dealt with things in like you know, high school, young, young guys, you're like, oh man, I got mad and I hit you, I'm sorry, go ahead and punch me back in the stomach. You know, like you do that. Like, well, the relationship has changed though, right? Like that guy, no matter, no matter and everything's fine. Now I've confessed and repented, it's fine. And, and he knows, and, and not the whole thing, but he knows a lot of it. Uh, uh, but like, that relationship's not the same, right? Like he's not gonna trust me, you know? What I'm saying is there's more to sin than can be paid back. And Christians believe that we are more, right? The Bible tells us that we're more than just these physical entities. That we actually, that, that just this just mere, uh, Stephen Hawking famously said, uh, just scum on the face of an average planet circling an average star in the universe, you know? Christianity believes, the Bible teaches that you're more than that, that you're not just a process of chemical reactions, but that you are a person. And that we, our personhood exists in relationships, right? Like you know who you are in a relationship, whether you're good at singing or bad at singing or, 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 or skinny or smart or dumb or whatever it is that we are. We know these things in relationship, who we are as a person. We just, and we even think in relationship. We are a web of relationships. And when there is damage to the relationship, we are damaging the environment in which personhood flourishes. Does that make sense? 
Imagine this. Imagine that, that, that I make a mistake and I speak unkindly uh, 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 to uh, uh, my best friend, all right? And, and that relationship is damaged. They are hurt deeply, but, but over time, that relationship continues, but nothing's ever done about the, the, the harm and the hurt. Now that we are different people, not only are we different people, but it, affects, it can affect other relationships. If I come in and I talk to my son in a way, and I harm my, my son, that doesn't just affect my relationship with my son, it affects my, my son's relationship with my wife because he's changed and altered. Because the relationships are so much the environment in which we flourish as people. So when relationship is damaged, our capacity to be who God would have us to be is damaged. This happens in relationship all the time. And sin does this. We exist in relationship. We're relational beings, and which is fascinating that God made it. It makes sense, though, if there's a triune God at the center of the universe is this God who in himself is love. It makes sense that the relational God would make relational beings, though, right? Which is why loneliness makes us do stupid things. It's dehumanizing. And that we, before we exist in any other relationship, any other horizontal relationship, every single person that you have ever met, met, seen, read about, heard of, exists in relationship with an almighty, all-powerful God that loves them. That gives them far more value. It gives them value because God values them. And so when we harm them, we affect not just that one relationship, but the ground that they can flourish in. Here's what I'm trying to get at. What do we do about that damage? Even if I repay for what I did to you, what if about that relational damage? One of the weirdest things that happens in the Old Testament, I think, I don't know, there's a lot of weird stuff, right? One of the weirdest things that kind of like I think about, that, that I think about, I'm like, well, that's just a crazy thing to do, uh, is they like to sling blood everywhere. Like, it's pretty regular. Like, like uh, so they get to the end of Exodus, right? And there's this, uh, uh, the, the book of Exodus, it tells that God brings his people out from slavery. And uh, he brings him to this mountain, and he comes down on this mountain in, like, fire. And he's like, I'm going to be your God, and I'm going to live among you. And the people are like, nah, we're good. Mm -mm. Hard pass on the consuming fire dwelling next door. We don't want that. Uh, New plan. How's that going to work, right? And so all these rules, like Leviticus, which is so weird, it's all these rules about how you're going to think about a holy God living in your midst, right? And so a lot of that includes them, like, throwing blood at things. It's crazy. So the, the, the animal sacrifice part was just bizarre. So, for example, in Leviticus, this explaining how they're going to live together, it says uh, the priest is going to take the blood, uh, and he's going to bring it in front of the temple of the veil of meeting, dip his finger in the blood, sprinkle blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. Put blood in the horns. In Leviticus 16, it happens again. Every, every time, once a year, they actually go into the Holy of Holies, this place where God was, and they would dip their finger in blood, and they would sprinkle blood everywhere. One of the weirdest scenes, Exodus 24, uh, uh, God brings him, he's like, listen, God's going to take you for a holy people. And he takes the book of the covenant, and he reads it in the hearing of the people, and he says that uh, all that God's spoken that we're going to do, Moses takes the blood of the sacrifice, and he throws it on the people. Can you imagine going to church? Right? Showing up for a worship service, and they're like, hey, like, we're going to read this real long book, God descends in fire, and then they just throw blood on you. You're like, what is happening? Because we don't think this way, right? They thought a certain way. Uh, they thought, and God said in Leviticus uh, 17, he tells them a little bit later, the life of every creature is in its blood. Its blood is its life. There was this image, this very powerful image, that because we are sinful creatures, that not only do we have to repay for what we've done, but the very environment in which we live needs to be purified. 
And they would just take the blood, and it was this symbolic motion that another's life had to pay for all that we had done. This animal's life had to pay for what we have done and the damage that we've caused. Not just do we have to repay, but the whole environment in which we can be human has been damaged. What do we do about the toxic effects of sin on all of humanity? And this was their powerful image of what it would be like of atonement, of cleaning up the environment itself, not the physical environment, so that life could be flourished where we have damaged life. Even though we know, know that we need to know that we're sinners and that we do this kind of damage in our life on a daily basis, that we live in the middle of this kind of damage, it's not the only thing we need to know. Matter of fact, if that's all you know is that you're a sinner, that's not good news. It's bad news. You need to know that you are forgiven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. One of the uh, other choices that you could make to be a human thing um, that when we disobey, when we are sinful, when we violate something, uh, violate a standard, uh, we like to hide. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been around a child that does something wrong. First thing they do, cover up the evidence and run and hide. That's what you do. I wish we didn't grow out of that, right? That's our instinct sometimes. It's like, ah, I've messed it up now. I should go hide, you know? And so uh, our instinct, human, the universal instinct is, is to hide or, or to blame, right? Um, I do this, I do this, right? Like I have to fight, my, I, I do, I, hey God, forgive me for what I just said out loud, but that, it, that, but that, that driver is an idiot, right? There's always the, but, forgive me for saying that, but realistically, like what I just did wasn't that bad, right? Like there's always this hedging and blaming others for what I have done. It's a human instinct, right? The religious way to handle this is either uh, try to make up for it, I've messed up and I've sinned, so I'm going to make up for it by, by doing better. Legalism, right? If I just follow enough rules, I can make it. The other way to deal with it is, uh, you know what? There are no rules. Everything's fine. And then, no matter what I do, it doesn't matter. Like, everything's fine. I'll be forgiven. Uh, if you're collecting $5 words, antinomianism. No, no rules. No law. Uh, those are the religious ways to deal with it. But they're not the biblical ways to deal with it. The biblical way to deal with it is... This is amazing. The blood of the perfect sacrifice spilled. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That there is not making up for it. There is not, it's not that there's not a law or a rule that's been violated. It's that we have been forgiven. There's this great word. Uh, or at the end of John tells us that the last thing that Jesus says before he dies, he says, It's finished. It's over. The accounting is leveled. It has been done. I have accomplished what I came to accomplish. It's finished. Unbelievable that we are forgiven by the blood, by the blood, by the spilled blood of the Lamb. One of the most amazing things to me, you want to know how great God's mercy is, God's great kindness is, is that it's not just his mercy I can depend on for this to be true. 
right? As somebody who walks around his car. Like I, I think that in my head, God's reaction to me when I come to him in prayer to ask for forgiveness, my, 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 here's my impression of God uh, when I come to him in prayer. Again? That's what I feel like he thinks when I'm showed up, showed up, when I confess my sins. Again? Like, you can't pull it together, Chris? That's my impression of him, right? And, and, and I think that, and it's not true, but I think like, that maybe his mercies will run out one day. And here's God's great kindness to me. Uh, John talks about it. He writes this in 1 John 6. He says this. Sorry, sorry. 1 John does 6 does not exist. 1 John 1, 9. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when I, beating myself up, struggle to believe that God forgive me, how can his mercy be that deep? He says, you can not only just depend on my mercy, you can also depend on my justice. It would be unjust for God to punish me for my sins because he's already punished another. It's not just his mercy, it's his justice. That when I cannot get over my constant failure, my constant need of forgiveness, he says, not only am I merciful, not only am I gracious, but in my graciousness, in my mercy, I have put another in your place and let his life count for yours. It would be unjust for me to punish you again. Because Christ has already suffered that. Unbelievable. Repentance and confession are gifts. The alternatives to deal with the shame that we all feel are dreadful. To live well, we need to know that we are forgiven. What does this forgiveness look like? So uh, to the Israelites, uh, or the Jewish community at this time when Jesus comes, like, uh, they, forgiveness of sins would have looked like um, probably setting prisoners free. Right? There's these verses that like, when God comes, he's going to set the prisoners free. Um, because you know, God sent them out. God, God sent people to take them into captivity. So what does being forgiven? Right? They, they sinned, so God sent them into captivity. So what does forgiveness look like? Being set free from captivity. The filling open of the gates. Yep. Price has been paid. You've been bought, you've been purchased, atonement, right? Jesus shows up and is not contradicting that, but he seems to go further, and he begins to draw pictures of what this forgiveness looks like in ways that upset people. I can't get over it. I'm sorry I mentioned it all the time. That's a lie. I'm not sorry at all. The prodigal son, oh, every, like you would think the number of times I've heard it, prayed about it, wept over it, preached about it, that I would just get over it, but I cannot get over the story. It's just messing, every, every year or two, it messes me up in a new way. If you know the story, real quick. Uh, this guy goes to his father uh, and says, hey, listen, go ahead and give me, uh, give me my inheritance now. I'm out of here. And the father does. He says, okay. And he gives him his inheritance. Kid goes into a foreign land uh, and uh, squanders everything living however he wants to live. When he runs out of everything, he's just reduced to like living among pigs and he's just so hungry and so destitute that he's just eating uh, the food that the pigs get. And he's like, he just one day he's like, you know what? Like, I'm just gonna go back to my dad and maybe he will, let me just have a job. Maybe he'll just give me a job. I know I don't deserve to be his son anymore. Maybe he'll give me a job. Like, the people that work for my dad are better off than this. Maybe he'll give me a job. And so he goes back to his dad, and this crazy thing happens. His dad jumps off of the porch. I'm making that part up because it's a very southern thing to be at that he's on the porch. I don't know. His dad sees him coming from afar off and takes off running to him. 
Now, we hear that and we're like, oh, that's so beautiful. Do you understand how crazy that is? I mean, imagine if you had a neighbor and their kid came to them and took everything and left, spit in their face, said, I wish you was dead, left. And for years, that neighbor longed for that child to return. And then one day they come back and they went running to them and restored them. You would say, you've lost your minds. You didn't know where they've been. You didn't know what they've done. It's crazy. If you were an Israelite at the time and you hear this, you go, you, what, what are you saying? What are you saying with this story, Jesus? That God is going to be so undignified as to chase a sinner that is spit in his face, wished you dead, and does not even deserve to live anywhere near you, and all they want is a place in the house, and instead you throw a royal robe on him and establish him to full sonhood? What are you saying? And he's like, that's what my forgiveness looks like. That is the radical, undignified nature of God's forgiveness. When we pray this, that's what it looks like. And then it says that we're supposed to go be that way in the world. Forgive us our debts, forgive us our trespasses, as we also have forgiven our trespassers as our debtors. And it says at 14, if we forgive others their trespasses, God will forgive our, will also forgive you. If you don't, he won't. Not because you have to earn this until I forgive this person, God's not going to forgive my sins. It's not that. You don't have to earn God's forgiveness. It's the gracious gift. What he's saying is this. If you can't forgive what somebody's done to you, you don't understand who you are and who God is. You haven't understood the radical nature of his forgiveness if you can't at least work towards forgiving others. We, and this is such a gift oh, that we've received this gift. Now you get to go be this way in the world. Now listen to me, listen to me. It's hard, it's hard, it's hard. I'm not saying it's not easy, it's hard. I mean, at the very least, you have to be, to, to, uh, to extend forgiveness to somebody that's wounded you, at the very least, you have to be vulnerable to go and offer that kind of forgiveness. And the best of us that ever did it was crucified, literally. You have to be vulnerable. There may be hurt, and that's okay. We exist and we flourish in relationship. And no matter how damaged the relationship, the power of forgiveness is unreal. That doesn't mean there's restoration always. That's a two-way street. But forgiveness at least has to happen. And so when you can forgive the other for the short Whatever horrible thing they've done, or even the what we would think of minor things, the way they treated us, the way they talk, whatever it is, whatever it is, because those things stack up over time, and places in our heart grow harder and harder and harder and harder in these relationships. And I'm telling you right now that when you begin to apply the gospel truth of our great forgiveness, and we see the other people as people that are wounded and hurt and that need God's forgiveness as much as we do, that ground begins to break up, and the hardness between us, even if it was 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, that hardness the ground between us begins to break up and you know what it can become even better than it was before full of peace and joy and mercy and kindness that's the power of the gospel these relationships in which we exist are restored to flourish because the relationship that we have with God was restored and can flourish because of what another has done This is something that I just need every single day to live well, to need. I need to receive forgiveness and I need to give forgiveness. Look, there's a cost to forgiving others. But it's not as high as the cost of not forgiving. 
Forgiving is not easy. So here's how you do it. Two things. One, if you find yourself struggling to forgive, focus on the fact that you've been forgiven. Who you are and what God has done, you focus on that. And then just decide because of who God is and what he's done, you know what? I'm not going to bring it up. You do that? Do you bring it up all the time? I bring it up all the time. If you've wronged me, I'm going to bring it up. Like, I, in my flesh, right? Like, I'm gonna, I want to fight it. I'm going to fight it. But just naturally, my, my instinct is like, oh, yeah, you remember what you did 12 years ago? Hmm, I wrote it down. I have it tattooed right here. You did this, and you said this, and I've never forgot it. Forgotten it. Don't bring it up. Even better, don't be like me, and don't meditate on it. I, I might be the king of having conversations with you when you're not there. And I win them all. Every single argument I win when you're not there. And I'm assigning to you motives and, and, and thoughts and things that you haven't even had. And I, I, get, I get angry and I get frustrated. And then I'm like, what am I doing? I'm rehearsing not forgiving. So instead, when you find yourself doing that, confess, repent, and rehearse forgiving. Rehearse loving. It's hard. I'm not suggesting it's easy. It takes time. Focus on who he is and refuse to meditate on it. And what you find is that we flourish Life can grow again. Good things can grow in the place of damaged things that often what is put to death grows back far better than it was before. Forgiveness is powerful, but you need to know that you're a sinner. You need to know that you are forgiven, and then you need to forgive if you want to live well. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this truth for this reality for the this instruction not to beat myself up every single day over what a terrible human being i am but to come to you with my lies that i believe to come to you with the burdens that are weighing me down the life that i'm living that is hurting and harming not just me but others teach me Teach me how deep your love is, how deep your mercy is, how perfect your justice is. That that I can know that I am forgiven and loved, that I am a child of the king. That that we can, as a church, just grow in the practice of pursuing those who have wounded us. And grow in the practice of receiving forgiveness when we've wounded others. That who we are as persons in relationships, in marriages, in friendships, with parents and with children, that we apply the gospel. We've been busy applying lies. Forgive us. (laughs) And help us apply the truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.